Lord, just as that song sang, we just sang, let us be humble. Let us seek your face as we stand here today and we study your word. May those, those words ring true to our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. So as you haven't heard, um, I'm not Doug. I'm RJ. Uh, Doug and his family are taking a well-deserved time off, and they'll be back next week. Um, but he asked me to teach um, through 1 Peter 4. And I've asked Luke Dawkins, if he wants to come up, to read the passage for us this morning. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray again. So, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for the young and their willingness to step forward and share the gospel or to read some verses here in church. We just need to be a people that live for you that do your will and not a people that chooses worldly things. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Pentecost and the gifts that have been bestowed to each of us. As we'll study today and we work through the scripture, you know, seeing Paul changing from Saul to Paul through the persecuting the church to one being persecuted for the church. We just can't thank you enough for the examples that we get to strive to achieve. Um, we thank you for your grace, for your patience with us, because as it was prayed earlier today, we are a deviant type people. We don't always fall through. That we may be show your love through our love for others and be a hospitable group that just shares what they have with other people. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So as we started this morning, and you've heard during prayer time today, is Pentecost. 
So why is Pentecost important, or why is it thing? Well, for Cornerstone, it was on Pentecost a year ago, which was actually next weekend, but it was a year ago that we started meeting again as a church. So we came out of all of the online COVID rhetoric and once again began meeting as a church. So at least it's important to us for that purpose as well. It also commends the descent of the Holy Spirit um, onto the apostles and the other disciples um, following the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Um, as we heard earlier, Acts 2, if you want to go back and learn more what all that is, you can read it there. And it marks the beginning of the Christian church. You know, as Brian prayed, it was with the Holy Spirit upon them, they went out and 3,000 more were gained. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It changes lives. The apostles' lives started changing when they started following Jesus. It changed again when the Holy Spirit went upon them. And that's our topic for today. Are you living a changed life? So the question of the day is, how are you doing living a changed life? Are you living a Paul? Are you living a Peter? Are you living a... And there's before and after on both sides of those, and we'll look at those as we continue. So we're going to cover three parts today. Um, the changed life, and we're going to examine a little bit of Paul and Peter. And then why that's important. You know, it's at the end of the day, we're all going to give an account of our lives. And then how? How do we live a changed life? So last week, Doug mentioned these next two chapters in Peter are kind of the conclusion to the letter. Remember, it wasn't broken up into verses and chapters. That was something that was done before the letter, or after the letter was written. So 1 Peter 4, 1 to 4, since therefore, well, that always means stop. In this case, it actually tells us a little bit about what's coming or what we're stopping for, but what is the since therefore for? Um, 1 Peter 3, 18 so if we back up just a little bit, and if you're following along in your Bibles. For Christ once also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. And as Doug mentioned last week, the ark is an example of Jesus. Back then, there was only one way. You were going, only going to survive through the ark. And it's just a good example of where we are today. Today, that for us is Jesus Christ. Our way is through him. So back to, I'm going to read the first few verses of First Peter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's kind of the core of what we're here for today. Let me read it again. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, 
living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts 9, we're going to look at Paul's life. So just a little bit of history on Paul. Paul came from a wealthy family. He, was, um, he grew up both in the Greek and Jewish culture. He was an educated and educated in Mosaic law. He first appeared in the New Testament at the death of Stephen. And it was probably just that death or that which made his blood boil, per se, because he truly believed in the Mosaic law, the temple, and the Jewish traditions. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about Jesus. He actually took offense to those apostles that were proclaiming Jesus. But if you read through the Acts and the apostles, you know, they were there to share Christ. And then you had Paul, Saul at this point on the other side. They're persecuting him for exactly what they did. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 9. And it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murdering against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bond to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. As I read through this, and I did some research on Paul, one of the, and I, I should have wrote down who, so I apologize that I didn't. One of them wrote, you just have to stop and wonder, when that light shone upon him, was Paul thinking that was for glory? For he was keeping the Mosaic law. He was doing what he believed and was taught was right. You know, it was only in the next couple of verses he found out that it wasn't. Um, and falling to the ground, picking up again in verse 4, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voices but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus, Damascus. And for three days he with that was out sight and neither ate nor drank. He had a reputation, and it wasn't good. He believed in the Mosaic Law and was going to persecute anybody who believed otherwise. Verse 10 says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Aeneas. The Lord said to him in a vision, Aeneas, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Aninas coming in and laying his hands on him so the sight might be regained. So remember who Paul, Saul was at this point, but Aninas answered, Lord, I have heard from the many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. 
And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, For he is my chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. How much he must suffer. Do you think he would be willing to, <laughs> to go into it knowing he was going to suffer? You know, our Christian walk talks about suffering, and it's not if we suffer, it's when we suffer. The time is coming. If you haven't experienced it, be patient. It'll get there. But we all have it. We all have time. And that's how we know we will walk with the Lord. So Aninus departed and entered the house. And laying his hands upon him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, has came so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, i got to stop and pause for a second. This isn't in the scripture, and this is something else. So last time I taught, for those that were here, I got some really bad news right before I walked in, up to teach. Okay, A bunch of men came up and laid hands on me and prayed, and I managed through it. I've been waiting all week. When Doug will tell you that when you teach the scripture, it's just a matter of time before Satan hits. You know, you just got to wait. So all week I've been waiting for that shoe to drop. Well, this morning at, I don't know, 8.30, 7.30, whatever it was, I got out of the shower, got dressed, and started walking towards the sink. And my whole back went all the way up. I went immediately and laid in the floor. I thought, I don't know. I stool here. I'm thinking, oh, good. I have a place to sit down if my back doesn't hurt, if it doesn't make it through its thing. My wife sent a text to a few people in here, and they came over and prayed over me, and I felt little hands touching my back. Guess what? Right now, my back doesn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, so I'm sorry. That was totally not scripted, <laughs> but I'm sitting here reading this. They laid his hands. He's got a sight, and I'm thinking, I'm standing up here right now pain-free. <laughs> so anyway, sorry. Back to my notes. <laughs> um, Sorry. Uh, picking up at the 19 and 20. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and, <clears throat> and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the same purpose, to bring and bound him before the chief priest? But Saul increased more in strength, and just confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was Christ. And Enos did not want to go lay his hands on him so he could be healed. But the Lord led him to do it. No different than my back. So if you need prayer afterwards, find somebody in here. It doesn't have to be a leader. It doesn't have to be an elder or deacon. Anybody can pray over you and you will heal. You just have to have the faith. You know, so it was in chapter 13 of Acts where is the first time we hear Saul being called Paul. And in chapter 13, the Holy Spirit, as they were praying, called out Barnabas and Saul to go on the mission. And this was the mission that Paul would work the rest of his life. And it is the mission for the Gentiles. Paul, through his whole time of teaching, was imprisoned many times. 
He never gave up. He never quit teaching the message. He never quit sharing the gospel. He believed there was one way, and that was Jesus. Paul, powerful formulation of the gospel, his emphasis on salvation by the grace of God through Jesus, and his focus on love. Love as a central value of Christian life. He loved everyone. He wanted everyone to confess, just as Jesus did, to follow Christ, to accept the gospel. Paul's last imprisonment was for nothing more than being a Christian leader. He and he still continued to confess the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 6-7, which was the last letter Paul probably wrote, says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So my question is, is how are you doing? Going back to the question of the day, are you living a changed life just as Paul did? You know, if we looked into Peter, Peter wasn't rich. By all accounts, he indebted, owed money. As we read in Luke 5 in, with Peter, he was fishing at night, trying to pay his bills. A lot of us, whether work nights or days or whatever, we're just trying to pay our bills. He wasn't a wealthy man. Peter was also only, the, only one of the apostles that was married. Peter was renamed, or Simon to Peter, in John 142. And it was done right there at the boat at the time Jesus called him. Which is Peter stands for in the Greek, and sorry I didn't write the Greek one down, but it's the stone or the rock. Um, Peter also had the same vision for the Gentiles. In Acts 10, it was the sheet that came down of unclean items on the lake, that all should fall to Christ, even those that were unclean. Peter was singled out for the Lord for both his weaknesses and his triumphs. You know, we've, we see throughout both Acts and the Gospels of Peter, I won't deny you, Christ, and then he denies him three times, not once, but three times. When Jesus was walking on the water, Peter yelled, Call to me so that I may come to you. And he gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water. He loses his focus and he immediately sinks. He lost his faith. But in the end, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit as well, he continued to preach the gospel. He continued to share the faith to everyone women, men, children, anyone who would listen. And it was probably this death, or this sharing of this faith, um, when he was at the conversion of so many prominent women. And as part of their conversion, he was also preaching celibacy, which didn't sit well with the husband of one of the women, who happened to be a friend of Caesar. And it was this man who plotted Peter's death. So again, he was persecuted for sharing his faith, and converting people. Now, personally, I can identify a little more with Peter than Paul. Many times have I said, I will do this, Lord, and then I do this. I, 
try and try, but in my own strength, I can't do it. When Doug asked for us to pre- someone to preach on this particular verse, this is verse or this series of verses through here is one that started me on a journey back in June of 19. And it was verse 2. And so I took it out of a different translation, not the translation I read at the time, but this is what, I, as I read it, the Holy Spirit really put on to me. And it says, from now on, you must live the rest of your life on earth, being guided by what God wants you to do, not by your own desires. I thought, okay. I was thinking about retiring at the time. It was just nothing more than a fleeting thought. But, of course, me, I ran some numbers. Oh, I can make more money if I stick around. The very next day, I read Ephesians 6, which is the verse John shared. And I took what was in Ephesians 6 by armoring up, that I was supposed to go back to work and fight and try to share the gospel at work. I, I really believe that's what he was telling me to do. I'm now here to tell you that wasn't what he wanted me to do. It was just the journey he had me on through the next seven months. Then in January, well, first, let's go 1 John 2, 15 and 17. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, Pride of life or pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing along with its own desires. But whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. That verse wasn't part of it, but I thought that verse really summed it up. So one of the things I love are personality tests. I think it's amazing that you can ask 100 questions and they can describe who you are. So one of my personality traits believe it or not, is not money, but it is possessions. I love what money can buy. I love my toys, and for those that know me, know that. Um, But this verse really kind of settles in as to why I was probably not living the life I'm supposed to live. So back on January of 20, I was reading James, and I'm going to flip back and forth because you have to remember what 1 Peter said and then in relation to what I read here in James. So this is out of James 4. Um, again, it's not an ESV or an ASB. It's, it's another translation. But it says, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy, enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do not think that scriptures have no meaning. That They, they say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful in him. And he gives graciously, generously, and as the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, your sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Hit me like a ton of bricks. I immediately, when I finished reading that scripture to the day, I walked into my wife who was getting ready for work, and I says, I'm done. It's time to retire. I've, we've got to change how we live. So now I'll go back to 1 Peter 4. And it says, from now on, you must live the rest of your life being guided by what God wants you to do and not your own desires. You have spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers like to do. 
You were prideful, quarreling, held grudges, had sinful desires, and chased the next toy. Now those friends think it is strange that you no longer will join them in the wild, wasteful things they do and may say bad things about you. For me, I walked away from a good job. Didn't have to leave. At the time, I was 56 years old. Shortly after all of this started, we went on a cruise. We came back from the cruise to COVID. World changed. 17 days, the world changed. Stock market dropped. One of the things somebody asked me was, oh, your 401k probably just took a hit. You still going to retire? My answer was, yeah, God told me it was time to move. So I'm moving. This was, for me, at least a little bit of a defining moment that it had been real easy to step over and say, okay, I'll wait until everything comes back and then do it. Now, I ended up waiting a year, but there, if you read the rest of chapter 4 in James, I can explain why. Because <laughs> I truly really believe he told me to do that as well. Um, but he did tell me it was time. And I didn't back off from my stance at work, even though they asked me to stay. So, like I said, this was me... Jesus telling me it was time for a course correction. So as we study the scripture and a little bit of, of me on the soapbox about reading your Bible and things that you've heard me talk about, you hear Doug talk about reading and responding to the word, this is how it happens. Here is my example that took place over seven months of me reading and responding to the word before I finally got the hint of what God was trying to tell me to do. I wished I'd have heard it in June. I did hear it in June. Wished I would have understood it in June not wait seven more months, but he had a plan, and that's fine. So the table talk question, how is your life different today than before Jesus? If someone looked into your life, would they see the same person they knew five years ago, ten years ago? Do your actions today show Jesus? Think about it. You have a high for those of us that are older, somebody from high school, somebody maybe we haven't seen in 5, 10, 20 years, if they came and visited you today in your house, do they see you? How do they see you? Do they see you the same person? I don't care if you came in Christ 10 years ago, 15 years ago, your life should continually change. You should continue to grow. It's not a one-time change and done, and hey, thank you, hallelujah. It is a constant maturity. It is a constant growth. It is growing closer to God. It is not accepting Christ and then sitting back on your laurels. So, why is all of this important? Because at the end of the day, we're all going to give an account for our lives. 1 Peter 5 and 6 says, But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. He's referring back to the friends in that part. But the reality is, is if you look in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Don't take that done as works-based. It is about priorities. It is being judged by God for everything we have done in this life, for everything we have shared in this life. 
for how we responded, for where our priorities are in this life. You know, you can say, I go to church most Sundays. I tithe. I even went on one mission down to Mexico and built some houses for some folks. Maybe you sponsor somebody to go on a mission trip. Is that enough? Does that mean you love Christ? You know, the, what you want to hear on your day of judgment, I mean, Lord willing, we all go back at the same time. Reality is, is some of us will go at different times than others. And when you stand there before Christ, what you want to hear is Jesus saying, this one is mine. Well done, good and faithful servant. What you don't want to hear is what's in Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not possibly in your name cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You want good and faithful servant. Not depart from me. Again, this isn't about what you do, although that matters. If you love Jesus, you want to please Jesus. You want to do the will of his Father. But this isn't a workspace system. We don't get in there by doing A, B, or C. You're not going to buy your way in there. It's about priorities. It's about what's number one in your life. Is it your 401k? Is it your job? Toys? Is it your wife? Your kids? Your husband? Reality is no. If you answered yes to any of those, we need to talk. Find me, find somebody, and let's have a conversation. The priority is Jesus. Jesus has to be first. If Jesus is first, the rest of it will come. Just have patience. So how do we live a changed life? I'm going to break this next section into two parts because the second part is about giftedness. This first part is just life, and everyone in here can do this. You don't have to be gifted in one way or the other. So 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 9. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That sink for just a second. The end is at hand. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Have you done everything you believe you need to do? Are you living the life the Lord wants for you? Matthew 25 and you get the parable of the ten virgins. Five virgins didn't go with a flask full of oil. Five did. And when it became night, the five without the flask had to leave and go get oil. The bridegroom came. They entered, followed the bridegroom, and they shut the door. The five with the flask full of oil. They were prepared. The five without the flask came, knocked on the door. Let me in. And the response was, truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
they weren't prepared. Take that from a preparation standpoint. Are you prepared to meet Jesus? Love. So this is the couple of the parts. We're going to be prepared. We're going to live our lives in such a manner that we are prepared. And one of those is through love. Love is owing nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Anyone who loves his neighbor will do no wrong to him. You keep the law with love. You shall love yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't get that, that's in the Old Testament, that's in the New Testament. It doesn't stop. It's not an option, it is a command. Last week, Doug said a couple of things, and I wrote them down to bring them again because I thought they were very fitting. Love and undeserving people. Love those who don't think like you. Love those who don't know Jesus. Love those who have done you wrong. I struggle with the ideal. I'm very much God go get them type person. I want my vengeance. The people who can give, forgive, and give grace to somebody who's done them wrong. What a blessing! But that's the way we should live. We need to truly forgive them, not judge, or hold on to a hold on to a grudge because of something that has happened to us. It's hard. I've been there. Still some days that little flame starts to flicker again and I have to stop it. Start praying about it. But love those who are undeserving. The next one in the verse talked about hospitality. And the last meal, the Passover meal, is just a prime example of what that should look like. In Mark 14... Jesus sent the apostles ahead to prepare the upper room. He told them, go to a town, look for this person, tell them the Lord sent you, and they would, he would invite them into their home. God provides for us, not for us to hoard, but to share. The upper room was prepared. The food was prepared by the owner not for his own satisfaction, but to share. And it's just a perfect example of what that should look like. Hospitality is, be happy to have someone stay the night and eat with you. Cheerfully sharing your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Open your homes to each other and share your food without complaining. It could be something as simple as having some friends over, playing a game one evening, sharing a dinner, going out to dinner, inviting a family who maybe doesn't have a pull over to your house to swim, if you have one. It's sharing what you have. It's love. It's about building that relationship with those people so that in the end, the truth will come forth. All it is, it's simple. And these weren't my words. I should I actually don't remember where I got them, but it's just be Jesus to somebody. 
You don't know what they're going through. You don't know if they need to hear that verse for the day. You don't know if what their life has, what position they're in. Let Jesus work through you. You can be Jesus. So giftedness. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 says, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, I'm not, Doug has thought through the giftedness, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. There's toolkits. You can look in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and it talks about the gifts. But God has given each of us a gift. He gave me one. He gave you one. Where to use those gifts to help each other. So one thing some folks have taken advantage of who run into it is I do budgeting and operations. I also do it here for the church, but I also help people get to understand that. That is my gift that my wife and I share with others. Because budgeting for me isn't about a month or a week. It's about a lifetime. And when you can understand that concept that you're, what you're planning and doing with your money, your life today, is all about your life, you take a different perspective on what you do. But that's mine. Um, this gift is something that he can do in you. So whatever your gift is, Jesus can do it in through you. In that way, you all make up good use of the many blessings that God has given you. This will show God's loving flavor. Romans 12, 13 does say serving of the saints. Now, if you jump back three, four weeks ago, um, we talked about who the saints were. Saints are all of us. It's not your apostles. It's not the leaders of your church. It's everyone in here. It's the followers of Jesus. And it says in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, one thing that I, as you kind of go through this, you can use your giftedness to show them grace, to show them love, to show them the gospel. And that's what we need to be doing. If a man preaches, let him do it with God speaking through him. If a man helps others, let him do it with the strength God gives. So in all things, God may be honored through Jesus Christ, shining greatness and power that belong to him forever. So we all have a role. We are all, we are all to share the gospel. Don't think it's for that person. It's not for Doug. It's not for RJ. It's not for Jeff. It's not for Brian. We're all to share in the gospel. We can do this through our gifts, as I said, and being, just being Jesus to somebody. Jesus came here not to, to judge, but to save. He had a purpose on this earth, and he loved us. He loved an undeserving people. He loves you. He died on that cross for each of us. So I'm going to ask the music team to come back up and just want you to think for a second of how you could use your giftedness to share with others.
how you might be able to love on somebody, how you might be needing to forgive somebody for something. At the end of the day, we're just to be Jesus. Love one another. Going back to what Paul, Paul's foundation principle of Christian walk was love. It wasn't beating somebody, arguing with somebody. You're not going to get them to the gospel that way. You're going to get them there through love. Let's pray. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the grace that is bestowed upon me and each of us in here. I thank you for your son that you sent, not to judge us, but to save us. That he loved us such that he and you were willing to have him die on the cross for our sins. May we be a people that we find our worthiness in that cross. That we do the will of what you said you wanted us to do wanted us to do. Again, we thank you for your son. In your name we pray. Amen.